Being the Worst, Episode 26, recorded Thursday, March 7th, 2013. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast, audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman, with your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdul. In this episode, there's a lot of new code to dig into. Carrie and Renat cover the newly added features, discuss how the console relates to future UIs and assists with ongoing maintenance, dabble in event message design, and get into the CQS pattern that was used to implement some of the entity classes. They wrap up with how the current message-based approach can be applied synchronously or asynchronously, depending on needs, and explain why there are hints of Redis in the code repository. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Renat, it's uh, March 7th. We're recording this on March 7th. In the last episode, I just edited episode 25. We actually recorded February 7th, so it's been a month since... uh, We've recorded an official episode, so it's good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, well, and else to be fair, uh, for the listeners, we recorded like quite a long episode in between, but it turned out to be so messy and confusing that we decided to scrap it and record a better one. Yeah, the, uh, we we did. So I, I forgot that we did talk. Uh, uh, when was that? A couple weeks ago. But uh, anyway, so before we dive into some of the code between that's happened since episode 25 and 26, there's actually been quite a bit of uh, code writing going on. And that's really what uh, at least a lot of your time's been spent doing between uh, the last recording and this one. There was some news uh, going on in the DDD community that I wanted you to catch us up on. Okay, so uh, basically one of the biggest news is that uh, DDD design community, uh, Eric Evans, uh, uh, they got completely redesigned website which aims like to make, make it more livelier, um, to feature better materials on the website, uh, to make sure that the latest news are always up there. And actually, like we're being featured uh, in the design Twitter, the podcast, uh, mm-hmm. well, simply because uh, I'm helping to run this Twitter uh, account. Mm-hmm. And probably there is uh, the future podcasts of uh, being the worst. They will be listed on the ddcommunity.org site, among the other materials and learning uh, guidance for the DDD wow, for great. people who are interested in DDD. And also, if all goes well, uh, in May I'll be in the USA, like traveling uh, in a few places, mm-hmm. uh, maybe New York, Portland on the East Coast, and then uh, California in West Coast. And during that trip, we'll uh, spend some time uh, hopefully in Portland, where there will be like uh, one more DDD summit. And this will be an opportunity to share like the stuff that was learned or shared during the recordings of Being the Worst podcast with other members of the DDD summit. Well, that's great news to hear. I saw those emails coming through, and I just appreciate uh, you working with Eric on that to uh, get that out there. It's just kind of nice to get the word out, and uh, it's awesome news. Mm-hmm. On the news side, I think that's almost, yeah, that's it so far. Okay, cool. Well, uh, let's dive in. There's a lot of you've been uh, busy implementing uh, a lot of a lot of stuff, but but mainly, Renat, there's there were sort of three main features, and that was uh, the ability to complete tasks in the console, uh, filter lists and project types, uh, introduce project types, and do and start dates. So we're just going to dive into what you got going on there and how they were implemented, right? Mm-hmm, sure. Uh, so basically. As we were going for the domain and talking about the domain, uh, trying to evolve the language, we uh, were trying to make the domain model 
as close as possible to the original uh, business of getting things done. And this required expanding the domain model uh, in form of this aggregate with event sourcing and also adding uh, new shell commands, which like the stuff that you type into the console, and also adding new ways to display the information. Obviously, in this project, we are quite limited uh, simply because we are have we're, our uh, graphical user interface is limited to the text that is being output and printed into the console. And likewise, there are no clicks. Uh, there is no way to manipulate stuff. You just have to type in the words. Yes. Uh, still, uh, even with this console, evolving the functionality, evolving the language, it helped a lot to learn the actual domain deeper. And so uh, I'm going to go quickly through uh, the three features, among others that were implemented, and to share how they got implemented. First of all, in order if you are to launch a project, you will need to start gtd.shell project. Okay. Uh, And if you need to reset it, uh, you will need to go into the gtd solution folder, into the bin subfolder. So uh, one of the smaller changes that happened since the previous episodes is that I reconfigured the project, the solution structure, to be slightly more consistent with other like secures projects that we're running. And so uh, the executables, the important, uh, the important libraries and ex- executables, they are not being compiled to some mysterious sub-project, sub-folder within the solution structure. They're going directly into the bin folder, uh, like uh, inside this actual solution. Oh, okay. It's on the root. Oh, I need to compile. So for, that's, why, that's the problem. Yeah, first you need to compile, yes. Okay. Just yeah. start it with F5. Okay, close. Okay. All right. So ideally, it should say something still like starting being the worst interactive GTD shell, uh, event stream version zero, trusted system has no event history yet, capture thought by city. Cool. Yes, yeah, so I hit F5. It uh, build itself, built itself, and uh, I've got my console. Okay, terrific. So now... Uh, we have an empty console, and uh, let's run a, a really quick uh, workflow. Uh, so uh, let's first define a project. Uh, that would be dp, and the name would be dp space publish episode 26. Mm-hmm. Enter. Then you can type lp to list uh, all published projects. Yep. And it will say that uh, we have one project with the ID with four digits. In my case, it looks 1BED, yes. uh, published episode 26, and it says that there are zero action, uh, actions available and the project type is list. Yep. Now let's define a new action within uh, this project. Okay. So it would be DA, uh, then the first digits from the project ID, and then uh, the action outcome, uh, finish the recording. So now, if we type uh, if we type LP to list projects again, uh, it will say say that there is a published episode twenty six project uh, with one action available. Yes. And also, if we type LA for instance, mm-hmm. like list all actions, all the stuff that has to be done, uh, it will say that it display, it's displaying actions from projects filtered by filter available, and it says that uh, finished the recording is not finished, like it's not completed. Is that because the little brackets is telling me that? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so, uh, one of the actions that I, one of the commands that I've implemented, it's the ability to complete the task or complete the action. Okay. So, uh, for instance, we complete the action by typing CA and then the task ID. Task ID is on the right side of from finish the recording. In my case, it's D5F9. 
in your case, it will be something unique as well. Yes. So I type CAD5. It says action finished. The recording mark is completed. Good job. Yes. So now if you type uh, LA, it will say that, okay, it, will, it shouldn't display any actions. Right. Okay. Uh, so let's dive into the code and see how this uh, was implemented. Okay. Uh, so LA is actually uh, implemented as complete action console command. So if you go into the uh, code, into the GGD shell project uh, folder commands, there'll be a class and file name complete action command. Okay. This class uh, encapsulates and implements user interactions and part of the user interface related to the console and completing actions. Uh, if we were developing uh, the web UI, then uh, this kind of functionality would be sitting somewhere in uh, ASP.NET MVC action, for instance. Mm-hmm. And it will be executed when somebody clicks a link or hits a button on their web browser and web browser sends HTTP request in type post, for instance, telling server to complete the action. Okay. In our case, currently, our web browser is console. Hmm, right. Okay, uh, this console action command, it's implemented, like the, our entire shell, is implemented in essence as a for, like, com- completely repeating loop, which uh, looks for user input. And when there is a user input, it takes first uh, token from the input, like first word, and matches it against the dictionary of available console commands mm-hmm. to see if uh, the token matches one of the keys. In this case, the token is CA. Yep. Uh, and so uh, when the command console processor uh, finds that it has the command that can handle this uh, token, then it will actually pass the reminder of the input to this console command. Mm-hmm. And that's actually where our code in this complete action command uh, starts executing. On a side note, this console approach where you can add lots of lots of independent console actions, mm-hmm. it really helps not only like in uh, writing domain model exploration code, but also in writing various maintenance and testing code. Hmm. For instance, imagine a proper full-fetched system deployed somewhere in the cloud, and like you want to know what happens in the in, on the inside, or as a developer, you want to have some debugging and maintenance access to that system. Obviously, you can waste your time writing fancy UIs that nobody else will use, or you can write a bunch of uh, helper actions. And one of the actions, for instance, would say, show me the latest event from the event store, or uh, show me the contents of this view, or create a new user with this ID. Just keep on adding these commands without bothering, like uh, without breaking the rest of the system. It's a really uh, empowering approach, and that's the approach we are using here currently in the GTD project to kind of explore our domain. Right. Right now, we're sort of it's uh, this domain exploration utility that's helping us out a lot shape the language, but <laughs> it's really going to end up being like uh, an administrator command prompt to our entire system. Potentially, yeah. And right. it's actually the UI for our system because, like, one of the UIs, because we can already use it to manipulate the getting things done domain. Right. Yeah. It's just another. It's a just another powerful user interface that can do anything that any other UI can do. Absolutely. Well, not uh, almost anything, but like quite a lot. Oh, right. Yeah. It can execute any domain command, uh, mm-hmm. but maybe you know it's not going to give you a nice, pretty checkbox to click or anything. But absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The um, 
I would just note that uh, in case anyone's maybe new to the words that we're talking about, this is where namespaces get really important in, in the top of the file in the namespace gtd.shell.commands and all these commands are literally the console commands we're talking about. They, they don't, they indirectly kind of eventually will relate to commands we're calling in the domain, but this has nothing to do with our command messages that we've been talking about in the past. This is totally different. Yes, and that's why this complete action command it inherits from interface iConsole command. So that's not uh, the same domain command. Right. However, in this specific case, it happens that this complete action console command, it actually, what it does, it first finds the action by using the system uh, capability to find the action by partial ID that mm-hmm. we provide. Mm-hmm. And then if like if action is already completed, it will display an error that action is already completed. If it's not, then it will simply send the command to the trusted system saying complete this action. Mm-hmm. And so when I started developing this feature, when, like when I uh, knew that I need to add capability to, com- to, like, to mark actions as completed and then maybe use this information somewhere else, I started by uh, fetching the console action command to do that and also by adding uh, actual domain command. Hmm. So uh, the domain command was defined in messages.ddd mm-hmm. file, mm-hmm. Uh, and the command simply says complete action question mark with action ID. Right. And as uh, almost always, this uh, command follows by an event. Uh, in this case, the event is action completed, and among like it includes actually additional parameters. So uh, it doesn't just say action completed action ID. It also includes additional members, which is project ID, action outcome and time. Mm-hmm. Uh, why this is important is that uh, like when building our domain, well, while defining domain events, we have to try to anticipate consumers of these events. And by default, the single event that action was completed with a single action ID is like the minimal information that is needed to transfer the information, mm-hmm. uh, to transfer the intent. However, for the consumers, it will be really, really inconvenient to use that event. For instance, imagine a view Mm-hmm. And a projection, uh, for uh, imagine a projection that tries to build a list of completed actions mm-hmm. by time. This, for instance, could be a reporting view where we want to display like uh, which actions did we complete last week, which actions did we complete two days ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if this projection, if this view, they were interested in building such a display, then they would need to get all the information about like the latest uh, name of the action, about the latest ID of the project that they're bound to, about the time, about the action ID and name. Okay, mm-hmm. And so if we were publishing just simply action completed with only action ID, then the, the view would not be able to get all the needed information from this event. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it would have to go and subscribe to other events as well. Mm-hmm. However, if we are publishing action completed already with project ID, with project name, and with time of the completion, mm-hmm. it simplifies the view life of the uh, subscriber in this specific case significantly mm-hmm. uh, at the cost of in- introducing a little bit of redundancy. Mm-hmm. Because we're publishing the same information over and over again, just to make it more convenient. Mm-hmm. However, in this case, we don't really care about the redundancy because the storage uh, space is extremely cheap. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can store uh, gigabytes uh, per month somewhere in the cloud for uh, cost of uh, cents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, this uh, published information is immutable. Uh, it's really easy to track, to track and manage changes. 
So normally, if you were, for instance, working with a database, and if we were storing the same information in two multiple tables, then we would face a problem that we need to make sure that this information is synchronized. Mm-hmm. Because we simply don't know where is the source of truth. Uh, in our case, we know that the source of truth is actually event store and aggregates that they represent. Right. And we can easily identify where the really true data uh, is staying. And we can, based on that information, based on that confidence, uh, we can actually make life of everybody else down the stream more convenient by publishing and publishing and publishing some additional information. Mm-hmm. If we didn't do this, like I'm assuming at some point you stumbled upon an event that didn't carry around this extra data or wasn't as uh, helpful, did you have to like write a bunch of separate utilities or code to go dig around five other events to smash together the view you need? And I would imagine that's kind of a pain. Well, basically, yes. Uh, you would have to, like in a view, you would need to add uh, more uh, project subscribers that would maintain a different representation and they will have to put this information in some hidden fields on the view mm-hmm. so that when a, a really important action uh, ID comes, they'll be able to match it. For instance, the view would need act- to actually list all events, all actions that happened in the system just to be able to find the proper name Mm-hmm. for the completed action because right. it's uh, not stored anywhere else. So that would mean, Renat, if you, like, for for example, if you weren't capturing the time, uh, the time that the action was completed in this event and you wanted that information, would you have to do ugly things like uh, go look at when the actual, like, stamp on the event store was or something to get that information back? Absolutely. Yeah. And actually in the previous systems, when I wasn't capturing the time uh, explicitly, I had to uh, resort to looking up the message headers. Mm. This was ugly, this was inconvenient, and this was creating the coupling uh, between the code and infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And from our actual perspective, the time when event happened, it's important to the domain because we want to build the, for instance, time-based reports. Mm -hmm. So this is the reason why this information should be captured uh, in the events even though the same information might be as well captured in the message uh, headers for other purposes. Mm-hmm. So in this case, uh, technically we have information duplication. Mm-hmm. Same value is being captured in two places. However, from the domain perspective, uh, this is not different. Uh, this is not the same information because it, it is related to a different intent. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. And folks, this is, uh, folks, I never say folks. Hey, folks. Uh, gtd.publish language is the project we're in. And we, he mentioned the messages.ddd file that you guys have seen before. And we were at just talking about line 61 and the additional um, parameters, arguments, parameters, I guess, uh, if that uh, message. Well, that's a confusion, sorry. So basically, when we're looking at the message contracts mm-hmm. uh, in the DDD format, mm-hmm. uh, we see them as their like method headers, like mm-hmm. method calls. Mm-hmm. And in this case, we're talking about uh, arguments to a function. Yes. And like if you're listening f- to the podcast from the very beginning, you would remember that in our case, a uh, method call is uh, equivalent, uh, it can be re- uh, represented as a message that is passed to some uh, remote method. Mm-hmm. And in this case, our messages, they carry the same information, but they're represented as classes with fields, properties, in other words, members, which match to the parameters in this method representation. Mm-hmm. So in other, uh, also like this messages DDD file, it's not a compilable file. It's a file that we can edit 
and this it will be converted uh, immediately to C# -sharp classes uh, representing messages as long as you have DSL utility running in the background. Mm -hmm. And this DSL, DSL utility can be launched if you start DSL.cmd file from the root folder. Yep. It will run in the background and track all changes that you do uh, to the DDD file and update the message contracts. Got it. Okay, so when uh, I went to the DDD file and defined complete action and action completed, mm -hmm. uh, which immediately became part of the ubiquitous uh, language. Mm -hmm. And the purpose here was to make sure that these names like fit into our era, like discussions natively, mm -hmm. because that's how they'll be uh, coherent with the language. That's how they'll be evolution friendly. Yep. Uh, then, as soon as I've added these uh, two lines, then the code immediately stopped compiling, <laughs> uh, simply because DDD utility it says that hey, there were changes to this entity called Trusted System. And so I need to update interfaces on that class. So it immediately added two method calls to the interfaces mm -hmm. from which our Trusted System aggregate derives. Mm -hmm. And now the compiler and C-sharp uh, stuff, they actually prevent me from compiling the code till I add method implementation for the Trusted System aggregate and Trusted System state classes. Mm -hmm. So uh, I just let the error messages drive me through. Uh, the message error would be on the trust system app service. Mm -hmm. So I added method for complete action, and all it does it simply uh, calls change aggregate helper method, telling it uh, in essence to load the aggregate with the ID from the event store, then execute some method on an aggregate, and then save the results back to the event store, mm -hmm. and our method on an aggregate, it matches its name matches exactly uh, the command message name. It's complete action. Yes. As a reminder, so in essence, our app service class, it's simply a wire, simply a link between the messaging infrastructure and actual aggregate object. Right. So that's just a whole bunch of repetitive code that it's better to be written explicitly simply because it uh, saves quite a bit of pain in the neck down the road. Okay. Then I've added a quick method called complete action to the trusted system aggregate. Mm -hmm. uh, and all it does, it simply finds an action with a given ID from the state. And if the action is already completed, then it does nothing because we're doing like a potency. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, if uh, we happen to send two complete actions in a row, then uh, the second complete action uh, would be igno ignored. Mm -hmm. And then this aggregate uh, applies new action completed event. And this uh, action completed event goes first to the event store, and then it also immediately goes to the trusted system state. Mm -hmm. So it goes to the method when action completed. Yep. Uh, in my code, it's line 154. It's the very end of trusted system state class, but not the very end of the file. Got it. Okay, so uh, all it does, uh, like when we need to replay the event, when uh, we need to apply the event to the state, it simply finds an action with a given action ID, and it marks it as completed. Mm -hmm. So basically it finds an action instance of action state in the in-memory dictionary, and it sets its completed field to true. Mm -hmm. If you might notice, uh, I've implemented like the trusted system state, something that exists only for a short period of time, probably milliseconds, mm -hmm. the moment uh, when the system was loaded, mm -hmm. when the aggregate loaded from the history by picking the part of the event stream and replaying it for the trusted system state. Mm -hmm. 
So that's when a trust system state is instantiated. Mm -hmm. And after the result is saved back to the state, like a uh, system drops all references to this uh, class instance and it's being garbage collected. Yep. And this transit state class, it will contain quite a few entities inside. Mm. Entities are all the things that have IDs, ID of which is important. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the entities that exist only within this state class, although they might represent something else, uh, like part of the something else, uh, it's, for instance, action info. It's the second class below the trust system state. Mm -hmm. So action info is an entity that represents action. It exists only within the state. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the multiple possible representations of action in the system. It's like, for instance, action can also be represented by a class that sits in the view and exists only within the console. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I've tried to implement this class using the same old CQRS pattern or CQS pattern, which says that you have either methods that change something on the inside mm -hmm. or you have methods that return something without changing anything. Mm-hmm. And or like you have properties which are essentially getting methods. Okay. So I took a few extra steps to make sure that this uh, like action info is doesn't have any publicly settable properties. Okay. And this caused like this forced me to write quite a bit of a repetitive code there. For instance, if I'm uh, marking action as completed, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm calling a method on action info which actually sets a field completed to true. And this might seem like a bit of redundant work. Why couldn't a set completed field as true within the state itself? Right. However, what it helps to do, it helps to achieve a more encapsulated code. Like this code is pleasant to work with, and I know that there will be no side effects. I know that all business logic related to this action info class here, and all the decisions that are made by this uh, class, they'll be encapsulated within the field within the methods of this class. Mm -hmm. No other code uh, will be able to get inside the guts of the class and kind of perform like a reverse surgery and do something else. <laughs> this means that I can actually enforce uh, invariance on this, uh, within this class. I can enforce some rules, and these rules will not be broken okay. because this class will be able to enforce them. I see. Uh, for instance, I can say that uh, when action is archived, then under no circumstances should its completion state be changed. Mm -hmm. And I can enforce this within the state class. And when a new developer, for instance, comes and he's not aware of, about this requirement and he tries to write the code that does this, he'll uh, get a failure. I see. Simply because he doesn't have a completed ability to set the completed field directly, he'll need to call the market's completed method. And Marcus completed method uh, will fail when it discovers that the project has that when the action has been all completely archived. Mm -hmm. And what I found uh, during my limited development experience is that writing classes which contain business logic or some decision making as classes that follow CQS pattern, command query separation pattern, mm -hmm. uh, it really helps to write more coherent, more encapsulated code, mm -hmm. which is resilient to failures and captures the intent without leaking them outside. I see. Okay, uh, so uh, that was a quick explanation why I kept my entities without, within the state, not as a simply property bags with a bunch of getters and setters, mm -hmm. uh, but as classes that encapsulate this, uh, that implement the CKS pattern. And that starts at line 168 in the trusted system state, just uh, for those listening. 
Okay, yes, exactly. Uh, and then when the action is completed, when the event is published, it is being persisted into the event store and it's also being applied to the state. Uh, that's where the uh, action for uh, like starts working. Okay. Uh, but for now, uh, and this ac- work of action info would be relevant or important only within the, when the subsequent commands happen. Because then they'll be able to get the latest version, the proper version of in-memory state, and to make decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. For instance, when we invoke the complete action uh, command twice with the same arguments, uh, the second command will arrive. And when it will arrive, it will fetch the action info that is already has uh, the completed property set to true because of the previous event. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it will be ignored. This decision is made within the trust system aggregate class. However, what interests us now is what happens when uh, the event is goes out. So uh, when action completed is published, like it's being sent to everybody and all the sub- interested subscribers will be able to use that. Uh, in our case, the sole subscriber of this event is the in-memory view, which we are running inside the console as well. Okay. So uh, you can find this like all consumers of an event, for instance, by searching for all entries of action completed or by using find usages of a symbol on the class name if you have Resharper. <laughs> all right. Okay, and then there you'll find a console projection class, uh, which sits in gtd.shell project within the projections folder. Okay. In this case, actually what I've done, so console projection, it's kind of like, or projections in general, they're kind of like uh, aggregate state classes. Although they project, they usually tend to project events to some state which is persisted uh, on the disk or in some system. However, in our case, the projection persists state in memory. So it's really, really similar to the aggregate state class. So uh, when action is captured, or sorry, when action is completed, does it calls update action completed? It's a line 220 within the console projections.cs class. Okay. Uh, so long story short, uh, it goes through a bunch of method calls and it updates an in-memory structure called trusted system mm-hmm. and sets one of the fields as true. So uh, the, within the trusted system view, we'll be able to know that the action with this ID was marked as completed. Hmm. If we were building a like proper production system, then this trusted system view, it would be persisted somewhere on the disk, for instance, on the Redis. And it might be broken down into smaller uh, views just to make sure that we don't throw around one big large object. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And this view is loaded in almost every single console operation, console command that displays anything to the screen. Hmm. Uh, So, for instance, if you go to list actions command. Okay. List actions command, which is a console command, and it sits within the commands folder of digital project. Mm-hmm. One of the options which uh, where it operates uh, is if you type LA right. without parameters. Okay. Okay. Uh, and what it would do, uh, it's uh, the condition that if args.length is equals to zero, mm-hmm. it will uh, load the currently available trusted system 
And the method call on session, like on environment.session get current system, uh, it basically uh, finds the current system that's uh, used. By default, uh, when you're operating in the console, there's only one trusted system. Right. But we kind of have been anticipating the fact that someday we might be writing a console system uh, which, is supported, uh, which supports multiple people working. Right. And so uh, this class instance trusted system that is re- being returned by the get current system method on console session, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually the very view that was populated in the console projection. And our current implementation is configured in such a way that as soon as aggregate state dispatches events to the event store, it also immediately, absolutely immediately, passes all events to the subscribers. In other words, as soon as the aggregate published the event, not only the state was updated, but also all subscribed views that sit in memory, they were immediately updated as well. Mm-hmm. So although we have kind of message-based architecture, all calls are synchronous. Right. <laughs> and can keep on adding like the various views that would be residing in memory and that would be updated as soon as something happens. So this approach, in, uh, it works in building console applications, but it also works even better in building desktop applications. Hmm. Or you can make them uh, asynchronous by pushing events to the background thread. Hmm. What do you normally uh, do? Uh, normally it depends on the weight of the system. If I have quite a lot of things to carry out when event happens, then it's better to avoid blocking the like main thread, mm-hmm. the UI thread, and push uh, the events to background threads mm-hmm. so that uh, the system would stay responsive even when uh, something heavy is done, which can be really important for user experience. Sure. Okay. Okay. And so uh, when we have our console commands, which have access to the session, which have access to various well, to the views that are built on the events, and likewise, in any uh, web UI or desktop UIs, your, de- uh, your uh, user interface, it will have access to the views which are populated by projecting events to some in-memory structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, this information uh, can be used, for instance, to print the list of actions and mark their completion status. Right. It can also be used in uh, slightly more complicated uh, scenarios. Okay. And, okay, we're running quite a bit of <laughs> long time, so I'll go quickly over two remaining features. Okay. Uh, one of the features that I've added to the system, I've wanted to make sure that, like, when I'm working with the system, there is, like, I don't see the information I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've added, or rather, I copied the ability to provide currently active filter. Okay. And we have uh, following filters. We have all actions filter. We have available filter, we have next action filter, and we have remaining filter. Okay. This filter, like uh, when you're working in console, you have one of these filters action by default. Okay. And uh, each of the filters, it affects which actions and which projects you see. Obviously, for instance, uh, all actions filter, it will display every single action that was out there. Mm-hmm. So if you, for instance, type F in the console, press enter, you will see uh, that current filter is available. Hmm. And that there are like four filters. So if you type F and four, F space four enter, mm-hmm. your filter, will, current filter, will be changed to all actions. So if you type LA, mm-hmm. uh, you will see the single project, publish episode 26, and you will see uh, finish the recording ah. action with a check mark. Yes. So that's our completed action. I see. 
And if you're, you're using the default filter that is instant, uh, used when the console starts, uh, you would not be able to see this. Uh, right. Action. The default filter seems like it's the number two available filter, which yes. actions are available instead of yes. everything. Got it. Yes, absolutely. Which actions you can, uh, can you do next? Okay. And I've implemented these filters uh, by first defining the iFilter criteria interface. And this uh, iFilter criteria interface, it has four uh, members. There is one called title, one called description, one uh, method called format action count, uh, which displays human readable representation, like in a nice way of how many actions do you have available uh, per project. Mm-hmm. For instance, if you type LP right now, uh, it will say that there is published episode 26 and there is one action total. Right. It says that one action is total. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then now if you switch filter to, for instance, uh, all remaining actions or all available actions, let's switch to all available. So you, you type F space 2, mm-hmm. enter, mm-hmm. then type LP again. Mm-hmm. It says that zero actions available. Yes. And... If you would enter this uh, project, it will, will not display any actions. So this uh, change of lines from one total to zero actions available, uh, it's actually being rendered by the filter. I see. And we have also one more method called filter actions, which uh, takes a project view and it displays all available actions within that project according to the filter criteria. Hmm. For instance, all actions filter well, it simply does. It returns all actions within uh, available within the project. If we're talking about remaining filter, what it does, it uh, displays all actions that were not archived or completed. Hmm. Other filters, like for instance, like next action filter or uh, available filter, they are slightly more complicated because they take into the consideration the fact that, that the action was completed, archived, or if its start date uh, is not in the present, so that's this, uh, the, the action is not actual yet, mm-hmm. or it also takes uh, into the consideration project type. Okay, and yeah, the, so the, yeah, the current filters are next, available, remaining, and all actions. Where is that logic that you're discussing implemented? So the filtering logic is implemented within the filters, within the filter classes, mm-hmm. which reside within uh, the shell filters folder. Oh, I see. Okay. The logic from these uh, classes is like the business logic. It's taken uh, directly from the OmniFocus product, mm-hmm. uh, which is a uh, getting things done tool available uh, on the Mac and iOS. Okay. I see. Okay. So uh, we're kind of in this, uh, in our sample project, we're partially reverse engineering the product that has uh, lots of years on the history on the development effort. Right. Okay, and one of the additional things that I've added after introducing filters. Mm-hmm. So uh, filters were, uh, it's something, uh, it's kind of a representation logic. It resides only within the shell and it takes into the consideration uh, information about the actions, their state, and their completion state, and type of the projects in which they reside, and uses that to render the information to the user in like human-friendly way. Right. Okay, uh, and then one of the small other things that I've added, for instance, once again copying it from, from OmniFocus, it's ability to define start date and due date to actions. That's really GTD-specific uh, things, like mm-hmm. start date and due date. So start date is simply a date after which the action becomes 
actual, when it becomes important or available or relevant. Okay. Uh, in other words, before this date, we don't even want to see this action. <laughs> okay. So we want to have it hidden from all the views that uh, in which it would make sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, assign start date command. All it does, it gets the ID, it loads uh, the action by that ID, and then it provides parses user input using a few simple rules, and then it assigns start date for that action. And then it sends the command called provide start date for action. This command goes to the server, uh, to the aggregate, and then it uh, publishes the event. Mm-hmm. The event, actually, I think it's, there are two events at least. Let me see. There are at least two events. One of them is uh, start date assigned to action, then action start date moved, and start date removed from action. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like these are slightly different. So when we have a start, action start date moved, it's when we're changing the start date from one, play, uh, one in, uh, value to another. When we have action start date removed from action, it's when we're changing existing date to nothing. So uh, although I could have published a single event called action start date changed, I decided to have like free events to capture the intent more explicitly. Okay. I see. Okay, and this information goes into the events, then it uh, gets around pub- published around the system, and it goes to populate reviews. Mm-hmm. And then in one of the filters, for instance, I think it's, uh, for instance, in available filter, mm-hmm. uh, we're taking into the consideration of the start date to figure out if uh, the action should be displayed on the screen or not. I see. And now... All the way through the discussion, we're talking about the code. But it's really important how like this code, it maps directly to the language of the domain. Mm-hmm. And how we're feeling more or less hopefully comfortable while conversing about the code and discussing the real-world domain at the same time. Yes. And that's the indicator of more or less developed ubiquitous language mm-hmm. uh, that took quite a bit of effort. But it helps us to move forward with developing the functionality and not to struggle about like the implementation details or about features. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So uh, apparently, currently we're at the phase where it takes uh, much less time to implement a feature than to uh, actually talk and explain how it was done. <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing. Um, I think you covered those three main things that kind of added a lot of code to, to the repo. The, um, the other thing that maybe you want to mention pretty quickly here is the, um, uh, we, we mentioned at the beginning that we had recorded another episode that sort of got into the details of the Redis implementation and there's still actually some stuff in the infrastructure project related to it. Do you want to just give us a, a quick summary of what that spike was and what, why it's not being used right now? Uh, so uh, I was trying and experiment with plugging in Redis store, Redis server as event store and actually view store. And the spike is still there. So it's in being the worst Redis. So basically, if you might manually wire implementation of Redis event store mm-hmm. into the environment, it should, uh, their wiring should happen uh, inside the program.cs. Uh, inside the console environment class. Mm-hmm. Uh, and provided that you have Redis server running, and uh, Redis server for Windows guys, it's just a small executable, which is less than megabyte large. Mm-hmm. And you can start it in a console, and it's included within the library folder of our system. Mm-hmm. And then this 
console, it will persist events not in the file store, but it will persist events in small event store inside Redis. Got it. And the idea here was to try to figure out the simplest way to host event store somewhere in the cloud or somewhere on the remote server so that multiple people can work with that. I see. And so that the events can be published around. Obviously, one more alternative is to use amazing uh, event store of Gregg Yes. Although which has uh, one small limitation that uh, the executables are quite large, so you can't uh, easily include them as a reference inside the GTD folder. I see. Okay. And you decided to remove that now just because it added additional complexity to discuss the stuff we care about or what? It would have complicated the episode. I see. (laughs) <laughs> Once again, like we're currently at the phase where uh, adding features takes uh, much less time than explaining and discussing how they work. <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. So next episodes. <laughs> I see. Got it. Cool. Well, uh, speaking of next episodes and maybe even, um, I know that at one point we threw a to-do list in the project. Are there, what kind of features are you thinking? Like, where do you think the code base is going next? And what's, what do we have in store for, for what needs to be done? Uh, currently, it's hard to think. Uh, okay. I guess we'll, uh, we'll need to discuss about that later. Okay, no problem. So why don't you guys dig into the code and see what's going on in there and start you know, trying. It's pretty functional at this point to do basic things. You could at least add actions and assign projects and close out actions and mess with filters and you know, just start poking around with the console. It starts giving you ideas. With That's kind of how I've been adding little things here and there. It's like, oh, I wish it would do that, or it should be able to do this too, and stuff like that. So it's kind of fun to mess around with that. So try that out, and remember the code. Uh, I saw some people on Twitter mentioning that um, they had just had a chance to check out the the GTD sample, the code. So um, mm-hmm. I know we mention that every time, and there's links on the uh, site, but I just want to be clear that uh, in this second expedition that we've been talking about the last few episodes, it is not in the btw-samples uh, repository on uh, GitHub. It's in its own btw-gtd repo. So that code is also out there. We still have our sample repo in addition to this one. So if you want to check out the specifics to our implementation of the GTD domain that we've been talking about, you want to go there, and the links are on the site too. Also, as it relates to GitHub, I wanted to uh, just uh, was happy to see that we have someone in the community that stepped up and wanted to start porting the original BTW dash samples to Java. So if anybody, Amazing. that was awesome. Uh, we created a little Java team and, and GitHub under our account, and uh, he's already started porting that over. And he's asked people to contribute if you're interested. So if you have been, if you've been with us and you've been listening and uh, you happen to prefer uh, Java, then someone else is out there doing it now. So jump in, get on GitHub to the btw-samples-java. We can add you to that team and you can start contributing with him and uh, build those samples out in Java. So appreciate that. Thank you very much. And uh, we are at beingtheworst.com, at beingtheworst on Twitter. I'm at KC Street on Twitter. And Renat is at Abdulin. Anything else, man? Uh, that's it for now. Thanks, folks, and may the force be with you. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Take it easy. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.